0: You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. It's good. It's always good to worship with the with the believers when we come together for for corporate worship. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, I go by and I get the privilege of serving as pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. I see we have a lot of guests with us today. I want to extend a welcome to you, let you know we're very glad, again, that you're here. We do have a sign out there. If you're a first-time guest, if you could stop uh, and meet one of our host team members right in the lobby when we're finished worshiping and when we conclude our time uh, together, we would greatly, uh, greatly appreciate that. Uh, if we have put, been able to put a Bible near you, if you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, if you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. There should be a Bible uh, in the seat back, hopefully near you. Uh, If you do not own a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you. We want everyone to own uh, a Bible. So again, if you do not have one, please take that one home with you. We will be glad to to give that to you as a love gift from, from us. We've been working through our series that we've called Warriors. As we're kind of winding down, one of the things that I want to make sure that we do is that we understand the enemies that we have as believers. Amen. We've been talking about fighting the good fight of faith, and if we're going to be able to fight well, you have to understand your enemies. You have to understand what you're actually up against if you're going to fight successfully, else you might find yourself losing a battle that you could have won, but you just didn't understand what you're actually up against. There's a, there's a story about the, a, a war between two enemies, the, 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 the city or the kingdom of Troy, I believe the city of Troy versus the Greeks, right, in, in mythology. And, and the, 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 the Greeks were, were sieging the city of Troy. Basically, they, they camp around the city and keep any exports, any goods or resources from coming in or, or going out, but that wasn't working. They weren't able to, to defeat the Trojans by doing that And they did that, so, the, so the, the myth goes, the legend goes for 10 years, and it didn't work. So they built a horse outside of the city of Troy, and then they all got in a boat and they left. They, 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 was like, they, they wanted Troy to see that they were giving up. They built this big, this huge horse, left it right outside the city, and they left. Well, after the Trojans saw that they left, they went and claimed the, the horse as their, as their prize. As their, as their trophy for winning and being able to endure and hold out instead of being defeated by the Greeks. What they didn't know was that the Greeks had put armies in the horse. And in the middle of the night, all the Greeks sailed back across the water to the shore of the Trojans, and those that were inside the horse in the middle of the night got out, let the army in, and they came in and won the, bat- won the battle. And what the Trojans didn't know was that the enemy was on the inside. They had welcomed in an enemy unknowingly, and that was their demise. As followers of Jesus, we need to have an understanding of the enemy that is within. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 reads, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. The word abstain means to keep oneself away from something, to keep something at bay, to keep something away from you. He says abstain from these passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Everyone who is a true follower of of Jesus. Everyone who is born again has been made new in him. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he's saying everyone who's a follower of Jesus, just like Christ was raised from the dead and had new life, we too now have a newness of life in us as believers. If we have been truly saved from our sins, part of that salvation means we have been made new. In the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul tells us that Christians, we are to put on the new self. We are to live with the understanding that we have been made new. Basically, you have been changed, you have been transformed, so live like it is what Paul is saying. Live like you have actually been made new, like you have actually been transformed. We are to be holy as he is holy. We are to live like we are set apart, like we are different from the world. We are to live as if we truly believe, as we do, that God is better and more desirable than sin and anything else in the world. Also, in the same, those same two books, Ephesians and Colossians, Paul also says to put off the old self. Amen. He says put on the new self, but he also says to put off The old self. The old self is the part of us that still desires to live like we haven't been made new. The old self is the part of us that desires to to live the way we did before we knew Christ. Live as if we don't know Christ. As if he has not transformed us. As if we have not been made children of God. As if we have not been declared righteous and being declared to be his saints. You could also call that old self the flesh. The flesh. The part of us that, that God still got to do some work on. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The part of us that still needs to be made new over and over and over again. The part of, of us that you can say has not com- completely or fully been made new. I talked last week about how God is at war with whatever keeps us away from him, which means God is at war with the sin in our lives, which means God is at war with our flesh. He is at war with the part of us that does not want to submit to him. I like how Romans 8, chapter 7 says it very bluntly. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile to God. Hostility is the posture and position of an enemy. To be hostile is to be ready to fight against someone or something. To be hostile is, is ready. I'm geared up. I'm positioning myself to be able to fight. And what Paul is saying is that the mind that is set on the flesh, that is set on these desires that haven't been made new, that is set on these, what we want and what we crave that hasn't been made new, is to live in a way that is hostile to God. When you feel the impulse or desire to go do something that you know is against God, that's the flesh. That's a desire that is stemming from the flesh. We need to know that. We need to be able to identify that because Peter says that is what we need to be abstaining from. And that Greek word from passions there, the Greek word that's translated passions there in the ESV can also be translated lusts of the flesh. The word lust just simply means an extremely strong desire, a a passion, something we're craving, something we're longing for. To, To deeply long for something is to lust for something, it's to be passionate about something. Peter's saying we are to keep these desires at bay, we are to abstain from them, and we aren't to indulge in the desires, cravings, lusts, and passions of The flesh. Keep yourself away from those things, he says. You've been made new, so keep yourselves away and abstain from the desires in you that have not been renewed and have not been made new yet. Part of what makes this so difficult is we often confuse our desires with our core identity. We often confuse our desires with our core identity. This is very important. We let our desires define us. We believe they are essentially who we are. Okay. When someone is challenging you to live as God calls you to live, if you feel like they're trying to, 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 to change you in a negative way, if you feel like they're trying to, trying to get you to pretend to be something you're not, when they're calling you to live as God is calling you to live, you believe that your fleshly desires actually define who you are. This is extremely important. It's extremely problematic. Extremely problematic. And this is one of the reasons that the church, in general, oftentimes does not do a good job of handling sexuality in the way that we view it as Christians. This is part of the reason we don't view sexuality oftentimes in a very godly way. I want to press us on one specific issue to try to explain what I mean by that. When someone lusts, after someone of the same sex as them. We often put that in a completely different category from other sins because we believe our deep, strong passions and desires define us. So we put it in a different category and that goes wrong in two different ways. Two different ways. One such way is the church will act as if someone who sexually desires someone of the same sex or someone who is gay the church has a, has a problem oftentimes answering the question, can that person actually be a follower of Jesus if they desire some type of sexual relationship with someone of the same sex? So we, we actually have that question. Now, if someone, if someone has lust after someone of a different sex, we don't have that question, right? Because we believe that the identity, the core identity of that person is off. That's what the church does. I'm not saying that's what the Bible says. I'm saying that's what we do because we believe that we are defined by our deepest and strongest desires. So you have some Christians who will say, no, you can't be a Christian if you desire that. If that is the way that you are tempted, then no, you can't truly be a follower of Jesus because now you're gay. Right? So we put that on that person's core identity. But again, we don't do the same thing for someone who who actually sins lustfully, but they lust after someone of the same sex. There's another way that we do this also. For some Christians, we're like, well, we can't say lusting after someone of the se- as the same sex as you is a sin because then we're asking people to pretend to be something they're not. Did you catch that? We can't call people to follow Jesus because we believe if we do, we're telling them to be something that they are not because we have associated that desire, that passion, that lust with the core identity of who they are. So that's why some Christians say, well, we can't really talk about that, we can't really call that a sin, because if we do that, we don't want people to pretend, and God wants people to be who they they are, right? God wouldn't want this person to be something that they're not. And so we soften the biblical stance on a very important issue, and no matter what side of the road we fall off on, it's linked to the fact that we actually believe that we are to be defined by our deepest desires. This causes us to not be able to appropriately call people to follow Christ. Because we feel it's wrong to tell someone that no matter what their deepest desires are, they should be laid down at the feet of Christ. No matter what their deepest desires are, whether that's sexuality or whatever it is, because we believe our desires are actually who we are, we don't feel like we can call people away from them. Because God wants us to be happy, right? God wants us to be who we are, we must understand our desires do not define who we are. Desires are desires. You are you, and we can fight against any desire and passion we have, no matter how strong it is. One of the reasons it's hard to submit our desires to Christ is because we are literally passionate about sin. I'm talking about all types of sin. We are literally passionate about it. Did you see what Peter Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2? The passions of the flesh. We're literally passionate about rebelling against God and not following him. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we've all become victims of sin. The Bible talks about us being born into sin. We, We are all lost, and that's why we need to be found in Christ. We are victims of sin because of the sin that's been passed down through the generations from the Garden of Eden. But we're not just victims of lostness. We choose lostness. We're not just victims of lostness. We are lovers of lostness. Mm -hmm. We're not just victims of the darkness. We love, we crave, we are passionate about the darkness. You need to understand that the flesh that is in you is passionate about darkness. This is extremely Important. One of my favorite things that that shows us in the Bible, in in Luke chapter 15, there's three parables that go back to back to back. The second one is about a woman who loses a coin, and she searches. I mean, she's turned the house upside down. She's searching for this coin that she really desires, and then she finds it, and then she celebrates with her her neighbors, and she rejoices that she was finding the coin. The point is, we are like the coin, and when we are lost, God finds us, And he rejoices when we return and repent and come to him. That's the point of the first one. And it paints the picture of us being one that is lost. That coin didn't do anything to be lost. The coin was just lost and the woman went and found the coin. That's the second parable. Now the third parable is one you might be more familiar with. It's often called the the prodigal son or the parable, parable of the prodigal son. Where, you got to understand, at this time, the the inheritance of the father was extremely, extremely important. It was valued. It was very important when that father passed that inheritance down to his sons. And so the son goes to his father and says, give me the inheritance that I'm going to get when you die. And I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm going to go and do my own thing. He basically says, I wish that you were dead so I can go and get my stuff. So you're dead to me. I, I want my stuff so I can go. It's basically what he says to his father in that parable. And then obviously he comes back to his senses, he goes back to the father, the father accepts him, but one of the key distinctions in that parable is that son chose lostness. He chose the separation. The second parable is like what's well, a coin? The coin didn't do anything, but this one is like no, 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 no. There's two sides to this coin. There's one side that we were born lost, that we 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 inherited this lostness, but also we choose, we desire, we are passionate about. Lostness. We want lostness. We are indeed victims, but if we're going to effectively fight the good fight of faith, we need to know and understand our role in the lostness that we find ourselves in, our role in our own rebellion. You need to understand that your co-worker isn't the reason that you sinned. They're not the reason that you sinned. You need to understand that your your circumstances did not put you in a situation where you had to sin. That That has never happened in your life. Your circumstances never put you in a place where you had to sin. You chose it because you loved it. Because you were passionate about it. Because you wanted it. Because you have a flesh, a sinful nature that still needs to be submitted and still needs to be renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you wanted what was wrong. We have these passions of the flesh. That wage war against our souls. Praise God that, as Delisha said earlier, that He will grant us victory over our losses. That we do find victory in Him. Praise God for that, and we fight for that now. We fight for this now. I was just meditating on that word. Passions, the, the passions of the flesh. And one of the things that, that I realized is that sin isn't primarily trying to decrease the amount that you love. This is important. Sin is not trying to decrease the amount that you love. Sin is trying to change and disorder what you love and how you love. Sin is not trying to keep you from loving. Sin is trying to control what you love and how you love it, that it might steer you away from God. As we're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, sin doesn't want to stop you from loving. Sin wants to redirect your love and cause you to love in ways that are disordered. Sin doesn't prevent love. It distorts love. It corrupts love. It doesn't cause you to be less passionate. It causes you to be passionate about things that you shouldn't be passionate about, or maybe more passionate about things than you should be. Sin will make you love spending time on your phone more than you spend time with your spouse or your family. Sin will make you love instant gratification over long-term joy. Sin will make you love and cling to bitterness with a fellow believer instead of loving unity and peace with them enough to go and be reconciled with them. Sin will make you love. We must analyze our loves, our passions, our desires, what we long for. Sin will make you love talking negatively and harshly about a person behind their back more than it makes you love going to them and talking to them about whatever the problem is. Sin will make you love. Sin will distort your love. Sin will cause you to love isolating yourself from the fellowship of believers more than you crave connection and relationship with believers. Sin will make you love winning an argument more than winning the person you're arguing with. Sin will disorder your loves. It will make our loves inappropriate, unbalanced, unleveled. Sin will make you care more about what's happening in your favorite TV show than you care about the eternal soul of your neighbor. It will make you passionate about a TV show more so than the people that you do life with. Sin will distort your love. We must be able to analyze the passions that we have. What do we care most about? The flesh, this, this unrenewed, this unregenerate part of us. Sin distorts our passions and what Peter is, out, is going to point out in verse 11 is that these desires, these passions, are actually harming us. And that's putting it mildly. Look at what Peter says, 2 Peter, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Catch this phrase, which wage war against our souls? Which wage war against our souls? The issue here is we've confused what, it t- what takes away our life or what gives us life. We've confused what takes away our life with what gives us life. We confuse our enemies with our friends. Sin makes us love the thing that is killing us and fight and hate the thing that is giving us life. It disorders our loves. If I can put it bluntly, Following the passions of the flesh makes fools of us. It makes fools out of us. I saw a quote on Facebook that summarizes what I'm trying to say. It said, accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to acknowledge your toxic behavior. Accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to acknowledge your toxic behaviors. That we would so love our behaviors that are toxic, to use Peter's words, the passions that wage war against our souls. We would be so passionate about those things that when someone tries to correct us, when someone tries to challenge us, when someone tries to encourage us, we feel like they're attacking us, we've confused the enemy for the friend. we've befriended the enemy and we are alienating the friend.. When we do not abstain from the passions Of our flesh it makes fools out of us it makes fools out of us we befriend we cling to we embrace the very thing that is waging war against us is what Peter is pointing out are you quick to push away to correct anyone that is trying to correct you what's your first impulse Someone comes in, they're wanting to to correct you, they're saying, hey, I see this in your life, I believe this is off. As a fellow follower of Jesus, I want to call you to repent and walk with Christ. What's your first impulse? Is your first thought, okay, let me try to figure out why they're wrong? Or do we so love to follow Christ that we welcome and embrace any amount of encouragement, exhortation, challenge, correction, rebuke that God might be working through those who we are in fellowship with? If you notice yourself fighting against people who try to correct you over and over again, it's a telltale sign that you aren't abstaining from the desires of the flesh. If you don't like to be corrected in specific areas, you you actually prefer to hold on to and embrace the passions of the flesh. You ever know someone that's in a toxic relationship, maybe a romantic relationship, but won't get out because they love that person? The relationship is toxic for both of them. The relationship is harming both of them, and they won't get out of it because of the love that they have. Disordered love. This is what we do when we do not abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is what we are doing. It's the exact same thing. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you've had a friend that's doing that, and you're trying to plead with them, this is not good for you, this is harmful for you, this is harmful for them, this is bad for everybody and they just won't hear you out. They won't listen to you. That is what we do when we do not abstain from the desires of the flesh, from the passions of the flesh. Our disordered love, we are embracing the very thing that is waging war against our souls. This is what we do. This is what I do. When my wife and I are in an argument and I'm angry, Sin will cause me to care more about being right than I care about the health of our marriage at that time. Will cause me to say things that if I just took a step back and just prayed for a second and just considered, I would have never said, but in that moment, I'm not abstaining from the passions of the flesh. All that I'm passionate about is her thinking that I'm right. It's all I'm thinking about. That's all that's going on. I need to be right. I can't be wrong. Then I will feel bad. When in the end... It's waging war against my soul. It's waging war against our marriage. I've embraced the very thing that is doing me and my wife harm. Sin is making a fool out of me because I've embraced the passions that are at war with my soul. This doesn't just happen in marriage relationships. I see this in relationships within our church. Many of us, we come to a church like this one, where we have such a high emphasis on, you'll hear the terms biblical community and fellowship, but if you've never heard that before, you probably think we're weird because how much we talk about it and how much we do all that, but if you get past the weirdness and you stick with us, you realize, yes, this is something that I actually desire to have. I want to be to walk in biblical fellowship and biblical community with the believers and the family that's here, but I don't want to practice the patience that's necessary to actually live that out. The word patience, which can also be translated uh, long-suffering. I don't want to practice the forgiveness necessary. I don't want to be reconciling with this person again, even though Christ calls me to over and over again. I don't want to subject myself. I don't want to get close to people because then I might get hurt again. So here's what will happen. We will come in desiring to have deep, meaningful relationships with people, but anytime someone offends us or rubs us the wrong way, we'll run away from it. Right, So we will, we will simultaneously be desiring to have relationships and deep relationships with other believers within the church and be running from the very thing that we need to do in order to have that because sin will disorder our loves. Because sin, embracing sin, will harm us. It wages war against our souls. So we will simultaneously say, I just want to have... More, I I feel like I don't know. I feel like I'm just, I'm just by myself. I feel like I don't know anybody here. But at the same time, we're running away from the people that we could actually get to know because our feelings got hurt. When you do not abstain from the passions of the flesh, you will embrace the very thing that is waging war with you. You will be allowing the enemy to come in and defeat you, and the and the true desires that you have, because you have embraced the passions of the flesh. And then, because we don't want to blame ourselves for that happening, we say it's other people's fault. I don't think my life group really loves me, which is really, which is really they are not loving me the way I want them to love me, but I just don't believe that they love me. So we'll blame other people because we don't want to blame ourselves for our own loneliness, so we'll blame the people that are at times reaching out to us Because we actually don't want to practice patience and forbearance and forgiveness to be able to build deeper relationships with them. At some point, we have to be courageous enough to ask the question, am I the problem here? Is my flesh the problem here? Are we bold enough in the Spirit of God to ask these questions? questions because many of us we don't ask these questions and what happens is okay well I'm going to leave the church and the thing that you'll say is well it's really not the church for me and then you go to another church and about the same amount of time you have left that church and it'll continue to happen and at some point you got to ask yourself there's a common denominator that's happening here in all the churches that aren't for you it's you it's you it's you When we embrace the passions of the flesh, we are embracing what actually wages war against our souls. We have to be able to identify that so that we can know what the problem actually is. Another way that we do this in relationships, in the context of the church, we, we see in Acts chapter 2 and other places in the Bible, we won't turn there for the sake of time, uh, that the people of God are called to fellowship with each other. The Greek word there is koinonia. It's a, it's a sharing of life and life's experiences with each other. That we be authentic with each other, go through the highs and the lows together. That as 1 Corinthians 12 says, that we will rejoice together and mourn and mourn together. That as James 5.16 says, we will confess our sins to one another, that we might be healed as we pray for one another. Many of us in the room would say, yes, that's what, that's what I want, that's what we should be after, that's extremely important. But at the same time, our flesh doesn't want us to really be honest and open about who we are and what we've done. But at the same time, the flesh doesn't want us to be transparent and confess sins to one another that we can find healing as we pray for one another. So now we got these conflicting desires that are going on inside of us. I want deep connection with people, but I don't want them to see the real me. I want to be able to feel loved by people, but I can't really share who I am with them. And then we wonder why we don't feel loved and connected when all we gave people was a mask, was a facade. Of course, we don't feel loved and connected in a personal way. You never gave people the opportunity to truly love you because you won't share who you really are with people. And then we complain, we complain about the church for our loneliness because the church is supposed to provide the relationships that we need. But we never gave the church an opportunity because we were never really authentic. We were never really real with them. We never really brought our full selves to the table in the relationships that we have. These passions of the flesh will make fools out of us. It'll have us fighting against ourselves. It'll have us doing the very things that lead to what we don't desire and what we don't want. They wage war against our souls. I know that following Christ is hard. It's hard for me. It often doesn't feel good. But embracing the passions that are at war with our souls is worse and causes more pain in the long run. When we embrace the thing we should be abstaining from, it ruins us. We embrace the desires that are at war with us that we should be at war against, it always harms us. Always. Sin is such a horrible enemy. How do we fight this enemy that is in us, right? Like, how do you fight the thing that's in, right? The Trojan horse is already in. How are we we to fight against it now? How do we fight against the flesh? I just got two points and then I'll conclude for today on how do we fight against. Or how do we fight to abstain from the passions of the flesh, as Peter says? Number one is remember the horrors of sin. Remember the horrors of sin. If you've been with us, you know that sin entices us. It tries to get us to believe that it's better than it actually is. It tells us these lies. I love this quote by Kate Arthur. She says, sin will take you farther than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay and it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. This is what sin does. It, it oversells, it underdelivers. It always costs us more than we're expect, expecting to pay when we sin. We must remember we are at war, and sin is always waging war against us. Sin always wages war against us, no matter how good it feels in the moment. Sin is always seeking to pull you away from God. It's always seek you, seeking to keep you from being the person that God has created you to be. Sin is always asking you to trade in long-term joy for instant gratification. Always. I know there's a sister that I know, very gifted sister, very gifted, and, and, and has a, a, a type of gifting that I believe would lead to a lot of, like, upfront ministry being able to minister to larger numbers of people. But this, for whatever reason, this this sister continues to choose to not abstain from passions of the flesh. I'm bringing this up because you have to see what sin does, right? This is something that this sister would love to do, would love to do, but because of this commitment, this passion she has for the lust of the flesh, she won't say no and thus can't do the thing now that she desires to do from a ministry perspective. This is what sin does. In the moment, it seems great. In the moment, it seems like what we should be doing, like it is an improvement upon our lives, but it actually keeps us from what we desire the most. Sin always costs you more than you expect it to pay. We must remember the horrors of sin. It is offensive to God. It's harmful to you. It's the, it's the very reason the wrath of God exists. It is the cause of the fall of angels and the fall of humanity. It is a slave master that seeks to keep us in bondage. It is the reason that death and suffering and pain and grief and sorrow exist in the world. It is the reason Christ had to go to the cross and die. We must remember the horrors of sin. We need to keep in mind how gross and evil sin is. Else we'll believe the lies that is actually good for us. We must remember the horrors of sin. That's number one. Number two We must cultivate a greater passion. We must cultivate a greater passion. In the flesh, the old self works by causing us to love wrongly, causing us to be passionate in the wrong ways, passionate about the wrong things. And if that's the case, then the way we are to put on the new self then is to love rightly, is to be passionate about the right things, to have our passions aligned the way that God would call us to have our passions aligned. We don't just need to stop trying to care so much about the wrong things. We need to start trying to love and be passionate about the right things. If we are going to live as God has called us to. Let me try to give an example. We need a greater passion in Lent of 2018, so we're talking just over a year ago, probably almost uh, a year and a half ago, when when, when Lent occurred, I, one of the things that I decided to give up, I noticed I, I watch and I really, really enjoy a lot of very dark TV shows. N- don't fully understand why, but Netflix has no shortage of dark TV shows, right? So, and, and, and for me, I don't know if y'all if y'all mess with these shows, I love the, the, the Marvel shows, Daredevil, Punisher, super dark TV shows. And I, and I really love them. And so I gave them up for Lent. I'm, honestly, I didn't even 100% know why I was giving them up. And probably about halfway through, I started noticing a difference in my mood, right? I started noticing that I was just more encouraged. I was experiencing less discouragement. I noticed more joy, more, more peace. I just felt more uplifted. Right? And I'm not saying those shows, it's sinful to watch those shows. I'm saying this is what I noticed in myself. So after Lent, I haven't gone back to them since. Not because I tried to abstain from them long term, but because I, developed, I have more passion about the way I feel now than I had for watching those shows at that time. Does that make sense? I have a new passion now. I have a new desire now. I have a new longing now. And that's for the joy and the peace that I felt since I have put this away. And that new passion displaced the old passion that was there. And so now I haven't returned to it. So if we are actually going to be able to abstain from the passions of the flesh, we have to be good at cultivating new and rightly ordered and renewed passions in the Lord. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So he's talking about those same desires of the flesh, right? This comes from the same Greek word that Peter is using when he's talking about the passions of the flesh. So he's setting up the flesh and the Spirit at odds with one another. Let's keep reading verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Check out what Paul is doing. First, he sets the flesh and the spirit in opposition to each other. So we have the flesh that's a part of us, the old nature. We also have the Holy Spirit who is in us, who is renewing us. We are united with him, who's renewing us day by day. And I hope you didn't miss what he just did. He said that the flesh has desires and the spirit has desires. Same word. The flesh has desires, and the spirit has desires. There's this competition within all of us. The spirit has these desires. The flesh has these desires. The spirit has things that the spirit loves. The flesh has things that the flesh loves that are inside of us. He's saying that the spirit has these cravings, these longings, these these passions for us. The battle, then, is for our love. There are competing passions and longings and loves inside of each of us. Some of these are waging war against you. Some of these are waging war for you. And the way to grow as in maturity as a Christian, the way to grow in abstaining from the lust of the flesh is to intentionally cultivate the desires, the passions, that the Holy Spirit has in union with us. That what we actually need is stronger loves, that we actually can play a role in seeking to cultivate a stronger love For our God. And here's the take-home point for today. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. You need to do whatever it takes to grow your love for God. You need to do whatever it takes to grow your passions for God. Because you have competing passions inside of you. And the thing that is going to allow you to not yield to the passions and the longings of the flesh is to find and to have and to cultivate greater passion and greater love for God which means we need to do whatever we can do. No matter what that looks like, we need to do whatever we can do to cultivate new passion and new love for God. Whatever helps you to love God more, you need to make room for it in your life, in your daily schedule, in your weekly schedule. You need to incorporate some type of rhythms into your schedule to try to pursue greater love and passion for God. You need time thinking and meditating on who God is To grow your love and your passion for him, you need, for me at least I can say, I need songs that help me to to, to feel the passion that is in my spirit for God. Whatever it takes, whatever that looks like for you, you have competing passions inside of you. And we need to always be fighting to overcome those things that wage war against us that we might have stronger passions for God. This is one of the reasons that we do communion every week. This is one of the reasons we need that reminder. You need that reminder. That reminder that Jesus came, he died for us, his body was broken, that we could come to know him, that we could be freed from the chains of sin, that we could actually walk in victory over sin, that we're not just victims of sin, but we're also victors over sin because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So when we go to the table, we are cultivating in our own hearts, in our own lives. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. We approach the communion table remembering the one who we seek to grow in loving more than anything. We go to the communion table to cultivate peace and joy in our hearts as we reflect on the fact that he could have gotten down off the cross at any point in time, but he stayed and endured for us. He could have given up on us, but he endured the punishment that we deserve that we might know him. We take communion remembering also what he, what he said in that night, his last night with his disciples before he was crucified. He says that I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until I do it in the kingdom. Not only was he pointing them to his death, he was pointing them to his return. He's saying one day, every time you go to that communion table, you're one step closer to going to be with me. And we're going to feast in heaven at the wedding feast of the Lamb. We remember our Savior and pray that the Holy Spirit will grow our affections for our God would grow our passions for our God, and that these, these new, these renewed passions would, would push out the passions of the flesh that we so easily yield to. Family, I'll pray for us, and then we'll approach the communion table together. Father, we need new and renewed love, new passions. God, we have this, this enemy that is inside of us. We have this flesh that we can't fully get ourselves away from. So will you, will you help us to, to grow our passions for you, our love for you every single day, no matter what it takes, no matter what it looks like, no matter what sacrifices we have to make? Will you compel us, make us a people that are quick, that are quick to deny ourselves instant gratification as we aim for long-term joy in you? Will you help us to remember our need for you, our need for your love, God? Grow our love for you in such a way that the the passions of our lust just just grow dim and are seen to be as shallow as they truly are. Will you help us to bear these things in mind? Father, as there are temptations coming moment by moment into our lives, Give us the strength, give us the love, give us the passion that we need to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our souls. It's In Saint Christ's name I pray, amen.